Hello, awesome humans, and welcome to today's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and I'm so grateful that you're here. As a quick reminder, we record this podcast with a live virtual audience, so you will hear me respond to comments and questions throughout. If you'd like to join our live audience, I would love it. You can go to nataliekogan.com to see the schedule of upcoming shows and to sign up. Now, before we dive into today's topic, just take a deep breath to arrive in this moment right now. This time is for you, and I hope you find this episode really valuable. We have a really, really special episode today. I am so, so excited about our special guest will be joining us in a few minutes, Brooke Ebby. And I will introduce her and share um, how we connected and why I wanted her to join us. But our topic today, um, which I think is just so timely for so many reasons, is finding humor and grace and lightness in hard stuff. Um, I think I wrote my weekly email this week, if you're on my email list, about being in the goo, the goo, which is what my my term for that, um, the caterpillar going to the cocoon, the chrysalis. Um, before the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And so many of you responded to say you were also in the goo and the goo can be really hard. It's uncertain, it's unclear. And so I am really excited to talk about with our amazing guests who will be joining us in a few minutes about how do we find lightness and humor and grace, including for ourselves um, when things are difficult. Uh, uh, Brooke is gonna, she's an amazing human. Uh, I'll share more about her when she joins. Uh, but Brooke, uh, was diagnosed with ALS in her early thirties and is an incredible inspiration with how she has brought her being and her light and humor to this devastating disease and diagnosis. And she's just been a big inspiration for me. So I was really excited when she said she was happy to join the podcast. So she'll be with us in a little bit. Um, uh, before Brooke joins and before we dive in, uh, let's begin uh, the way we always do. Let me open my chat. Um, I always ask you to begin by taking a moment to acknowledge something wonderful about yourself. We don't do this enough. Our inner critic gets all the run of the show in our brain. So take a moment and think about wh why are you an awesome human today? Complete the sentence. Today, I'm an awesome human because... And if your brain just went, oh my God, I'm not an awesome human, I get it. <laughs> your brain would much rather, it's probably had a lot of practice with a lot of self-criticism. And so we have to counter that muscle. We actually have to practice self-appreciation. And so uh, whether you are here live, and if you're here live, I always ask you, please uh, share in the comments. I want to know why you're an awesome human. What is something wonderful you appreciate about yourself today? And if you are listening as uh, a podcast or watching the recording, do the practice anyway. Like you can shut me up. You can just pause it right now and just take a moment to think about why am I an awesome human today? And I encourage you to do this always because um, and I don't think I can remind you to do this enough, uh, the human brain has a negativity bias. Um, we focus much more on what's negative, including in ourselves, than what's good. And that's one of the reasons our inner critic is so loud. I have not met a human being who doesn't have that inner critic in their head. And so we have to practice the other part. We have to practice the muscle of self-appreciation. And so I... Uh, hope 
that you don't just practice appreciating something about yourself when you join the podcast, but also this is a beautiful daily practice. You can do it in the morning. You can do it in the evening. Just pause and appreciate something about yourself. Um, let me share why I'm an awesome human today. And then I'll read a few because I, uh, I always want to practice what I'm teaching uh, to all the awesome humans. I am an awesome human because, well, let me think about it. Oh, I'm an awesome human because my life is a little bit, a lot of bit chaotic. In addition to being the goo, uh, next week, my husband and I and our daughter, but she's in college, are moving from our home where I am right now, where we've lived for 15 years. It's the longest place I have lived anywhere in my life. I left my childhood home in Russia as a refugee when I was 13, as some of you know. And we are moving from this home into an apartment, downtown Boston. And we're very excited, but you can imagine it is a lot. It is a lot to move from a home where you've lived for 15 years. It's a lot to move from a house into an apartment. Um, so it's just a lot. And I'm someone I really like, I, I I need my rituals. Like I love my space. Like it's just something that's very important to me. So I'm very, I'm very like, not centered these days. And so I'm an awesome human because amidst all of this, I'm actually holding it together. I'm actually doing pretty okay. Uh, I'm very proud of myself. So that's why I'm an awesome human today. And uh, yeah, for any of you who have moved recently, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Uh, it, it's a whole experience. All right. I always love to read a few of your awesome human uh, acknowledgements and then uh, we'll dive in. All right. I just pick a few randomly. Um Today, I'm an awesome human because I am teaching my team new skills and they're very engaged in learning. That's awesome. Um, I'm an awesome human because I took time to be here. I've not done that in some time. I love that. Today, I'm an awesome human. Oh my God, it's growing. Because I am. I baked a yummy, lots of homemade sourdough bread this morning. Oh my goodness, Maria, this is unfair. I love sourdough bread. And now I crave sourdough bread. <laughs> How awesome. Um, oh my God. And they're scrolling as I'm reading. Um, I'm an awesome human today because I took time to look after things for myself, sorting out my wardrobe and only leaving in things that I really like and still fit me. Yes. That is such a great thing to acknowledge in yourself. I'm definitely in that process as we organize things for the move. And I've just noticed in myself, there's this like, oh my God, no, I got to keep this because I bought it at some point. And then I, I just, I like, does this fuel me in some way? It's such a good question to ask. Um, thank you for sharing, awesome humans. And again, I really encourage you to practice recognizing something wonderful about yourself. Think about how easy it is for you to do that in people you love and in friends and your colleagues, right? And how challenging it is for us to recognize this in ourselves. So keep practicing. Um, so for all of you, we just had a flood of new folks join. Welcome. You can never be late to the Awesome Human Podcast. You're exactly on time. And remember, if you're here live with us on Zoom, you always get the recording. It's an extra incentive to register to join us live. Um, so if you have to leave early or you come in late, no worries. It'll be in your inbox. And today we're going to be talking with our special guest, who will be here in a few minutes, Brooke, um, about finding humor and lightness in really hard things. And um, I, I was saying before, I think it's a very timely conversation because um, as I wrote in my email this week, I've been in this goo in this like uncertainty and transition and lots of things are changing and I'm going to be changing a lot of things in my work. And it's a lot. Like, I feel like I've been there for a whole year 
And I think so many people, and maybe it's a uh, post-pandemic thing, um, I've just encountered, whenever I brought this up, including so many responses to my email, but friends and colleagues, when I talk about being in the goo and this uncertainty, it really, a lot of people say, yes, me too. And so I think we are, there's this something, um, this is a shared experience that many of us are having around being in transition, being in some kind of change, whether it was forced upon us through a work situation or it's something we just go through or um, chose to be. And I just, before Brooke joins, I just want to, I share this in my email, but I just want to share it here. You know, I, a couple of years ago, actually, I went down the rabbit hole of really learning about the caterpillar to butterfly journey. That's where I started to use this term goo about the chrysalis, the, the cocoon part. And I just want to share a couple things in case you are in this transition or in a difficult time um, that I find really encouraging. So when the caterpillar enters the goo, the caterpillar literally digests itself. It's like a little ew, but not really. It's okay. It's a cute little caterpillar. But the caterpillar digests itself. And that's what the goo is. It's like this mess of stuff that's like the caterpillar digested. And I think there's like an insight there um, that I've been thinking a lot about that I just want to share. And it's that we have to leave things behind if we are to move forward, if we are to move into a new phase in our work or our life in some way, we have to leave things behind. The caterpillar digests itself. It leaves the caterpillarness behind. And, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because it's hard to leave things behind, I think. The human brain, by the way, is naturally averse to loss. Um, it's much harder for us to lose something or to give up something. We get more stress from that than the joy we get from gaining something. And I just think it's really, it's a, it's a challenging part. And I also think often we think about new and moving into the new and creating something new. And we don't spend enough of our attention thinking about what is it that we have to leave behind. So I just share this because it's been something I've been marinating on thinking about as I go through this goo and into my next butterfly phase. And by the way, I think we go through these a lot in our lives. I think this is part, I think in India, they say that we have these seven or eight year cycles that we go through. I'm not sure if that's true, but I think we all go through transition a lot. So I just want to highlight that um, as I see Brooke joining and I'm not going to steal another extra second from the conversation with her, but I just wanted to share that for the caterpillar to become a butterfly, the caterpillar has to digest itself and leave the caterpillarness behind. And then the other thing I just want to mention is that, um, which I think is Another thing that gives me so much um, encouragement is the imaginal cells that are going to create the butterfly's wings and the spine and the eyes are already in the goo. Isn't that so cool? Like they're in the goo, they're in the cocoon, even before there's a butterfly. So for all of you going through difficulties or transition, I just want you to know that then your butterfly is already there the next phase, but you have to give it time to emerge. All right, this concludes the Natalie TED Talk on how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And uh, Brooke is here, and I'm going to add her to the spotlight. And Brooke, welcome to the Awesome Human Podcast. Thank you so much. I love your sweater. Thank you. It's very subtle. I like subtle colors, as you can see. Um, right. I, I do obsess over yellow. Um, Brooke, I... I am so excited you're here. And as a matter, as a way of introducing you, I want to share with everyone and you, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, 
how we met or how I met you because you didn't meet me. So <laughs> I think it was in October or end of October or November, a friend of mine, uh, Jamie Haywood, invited me and my husband to come to a fundraiser he was co-hosting for ALS. And we came and we were at his table and throughout the evening, uh, there were several ALS patients who would come up and give a talk and it was heartbreaking. It was so difficult. I knew a little bit about the disease, um, but I didn't know the extent of it. Um, and it was incredibly inspiring to, to listen to them and the resilience. And then you came up and you rolled up on the stage in your wheelchair I didn't even notice the wheelchair because the thing <laughs> that I was looking at was your giant, sparkly, amazing headband. Got it. Now I know which night we're talking about. Which I totally was, I was like, whoa, I want that thing. I don't have any hair, but I want it. <laughs> but then you did something, you said something that was the last thing I expected you to say. You said, well, I can't beat the other speakers in terms of inspirational talk. So I am going to do a comedy routine about living with ALS. And then you proceeded to make me and my husband cry from laughter because you are freaking hilarious. Oh my gosh. Not to mention you were making fun of having ALS. So that is how I met you. And I was just completely <laughs> obsessed with you. Thank I mean, you. my daughter is 19 and I came home and I was like, we're going to live on TikTok and Instagram and we're going <laughs> to hang out with Brooke. And my daughter, she's in college now, but she is my witness. Like, I invested significant hours hanging out with you because you are this incredible human who has found a way to bring humor to something that's really terrible. So welcome, Brooke. That is, Thank I just so want much. everyone to know that is who Brooke is. So let's, let's dive in. So what is ALS, Brooke? And why yeah. are you so funny? Well, in that I, order. I'm glad that was your introduction to me because- I like had a script in front of me that I had prepared. So I was probably a lot, a lot more uh, prepared to be funny in front of that group. But yeah, they had me sandwiched between like two motivational speakers. And I was like, okay, I'm not like, it's not like if you can't beat them, join them thing. I was like, I have to go a totally different route to be able to like even be memorable here. Um, so yeah, I just started writing a, a stand up, sit down comedy routine. And honestly, the jokes mostly write themselves when you're diagnosed with something like this in your in your early 30s. So so ALS is a neurodegenerative disease. It basically disconnects your brain from your muscles like the the cell or the the nerves, motor neurons that connect the two start dying off. So my brain like can no longer talk to my left foot. So I can't move my left foot. So even though I'm like telling it to move and I can feel my foot is there, I can't actually get it to move. And so you lose the ability to use all of your voluntary muscles eventually. Um, so that means like walking. I mean, I'm using my hands right now, so clearly my hands aren't affected yet, but any sort of, any form of movement um, all the way to like talking because your voice box is a voluntary muscle. Uh, all the way to breathing. And so because of that, it's a very short prognosis. Typically, it's about two to five years. They expect you to live after a diagnosis. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the short version of, of ALS coming from a very non-doctor. Um, you basically go paralyzed entirely. You lose the ability to swallow, to speak, to move. Um, 
And yeah, it's a pretty quick death sentence. So, I mean, what you just said is like the heaviest of the hardest things in life. I know. Right? I think I'm desensitized to it. I'm like smiling throughout it. I think I just No, I mean, them. you are, but like we're all, you know, there's 120 people on live and thousands are listening to this later, tens of thousands, and we're all going, oh my God, like yeah. this, this sounds, how, and for anyone who hasn't yet checked out Brooke on Instagram or TikTok, go do it and you're going to cry laughing. You are, you're just going to cry. So how can you talk about, like, have you always been funny? How did you bring humor and lightness to this awful diagnosis? Like, I how? think I've always been funny. Uh-huh. In well, my hey, I'm the funniest person in my family. So I really <laughs> respect I that. It's in my I'm official like, bio. I really respect that. Okay. I think I'm hilarious, but um, I don't know. I think... I don't know if I've always been funny, but I've definitely always found the joke in everything. Like that's just, I'm the youngest child by a lot. So my siblings are six and eight years older. And so I think like in order to be in the conversation, I had to be making jokes because like I didn't know what they were talking about, but I knew how to make a joke around it. I love that. So I think I was trained to do that as a child. And then as I grew up, it never went away. Like I even in uncomfortable work situations. I feel like I've always been the one to make a joke. And so once I got diagnosed, the first couple of months, I was not funny about it. I was like mostly angry and mm. just shocked. Um, those first couple of months, like just sort of grieving what I thought my life was going to be versus what it is. And then a couple months in some stuff changed and I'm happy to tell the wedding story because I feel like that's that's Please. sort of go to. Um, but yeah, some stuff changed and I, I just started making jokes about it and never stopped. Okay. Tell the wedding story. Yeah. So I was diagnosed in March of 2022. Um, and I was a bridesmaid in one of my best friends from college's wedding in May of 2022. So I had those two months to be depressed and angry and shocked. And then I had to go in front of a bunch of people from college that I hadn't seen in years. I was showing up with a walker and it was the same walker as the bride's grandma. Like we were like, like the same tennis balls on the, it was just, I walked in, I'm like, you've got to be oh my God. Like, why, how is this my life? Everyone else here seems so normal. And I'm showing up matching, matching the bride's grandma. Um, and my dress was too tight because I had spent the last two months just like depressed eating M&Ms. So I walk in and I was like, get me out of here. And I turned to my best friend who came with me and I was like, can we just like go? I don't think anyone will notice. Like, let's just leave. It's going to be too embarrassing. And she was like, what if instead of it being embarrassing, we just like made it really fun? Like, what if we just tried to make it really fun? And I was like, all right, I'll try my best. Yeah. Um, and like a couple hours later, they all rallied around me and I was giving people walker rides on the dance floor and the bride was limboing under my walker. And it was just like, I was trying to turn it into just like a funny situation that we could talk about later. And um, I don't know what it was, but something happened that night where I was like, okay, everyone's a lot more comfortable asking me questions when they see mm -hmm. that I'm having fun with it and then I'm not. 
uncomfortable talking about it. So maybe I should just bring it to a bigger audience and typical millennial. I just downloaded TikTok and I was like YouTubing how to make a TikTok 101. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but. Wait, hold on. Are you really millennial? Because I think millennials, you have that embedded in you. Like it's, I'm suspect of you being millennial that you. I am. I'm 35. (laughs) I'm 35. I'm, I'm peak millennial. Um, So yeah, I just like had to figure out how I wanted to take my story to a bigger scale. And I'm still figuring it out every day. I'm like, what should I talk about today? I have no idea. But honestly, a lot of the content writes itself when you get this type of diagnosis. So what I re- I've heard that story before, but I, cause I watch all your videos, <laughs> uh, but I, I really love it. So what are, um, obviously probably as soon as you got diagnosed, you were reading about it and like the the amazing thing to me when you gave that speech is like you talked about the good parts of ALS. I mean, yeah. that's hilarious. Um, there's something, so I, I want to ask you what's good about having ALS. Yeah. Um, and I want to tell you, I watched a video you made. Well, I don't know when you made it because the algorithm on Instagram serves you things from like 1875. So you might have made it a really long time ago. So I don't know, but I watched it yesterday. And it was really powerful. You talked about that one of the good parts of having ALS is like you feel like you were meant to get it so you can share it. Um, So I'd love for you to talk about that because I think it's advice we often hear like when you have something difficult happen is like, okay, think about like why this might be a good thing. And sometimes that's really hard to do. Yeah, I think it's like my survival technique, honestly, because when I first got diagnosed, I knew ALS, I I thought ALS was really rare. I thought that it didn't happen to young people. And so I was like, why did this, why did lightning strike here? Like, I don't understand. And those first couple of months, like, there was no silver lining. I was just trying to figure it all out. Um, But like the more you start thinking about, the more I started thinking about my life leading up to my diagnosis and I had had symptoms for years. So my first 29 years of life were fairly normal. And then I started limping at 29. Um, So those first 29 years I was thinking back and I kind of pictured my life in like a form of building blocks. Mm. And so like, I've always had a really close family. Uh, I've always had a great group of friends, as you can tell from that wedding story. Um, I have a really strong network at work. I've worked at a big tech company called Salesforce for years. That's always been really supportive of me. Um, And because of that, I'm financially very comfortable. And like when you get diagnosed with any sort of serious diagnosis, it can kind of like knock your whole life down. And so if you don't have those things supporting you, like I can see why people get, you know, super depressed and crawl into a hole and never come Mm -hmm. out of it. But for me, like those things were so stable that I felt like when this came about, I was able to just tackle it the way I've tackled everything else, which is like, laughing in its face. And so like, I felt like I had the right tools to fight back a little bit. Like it's a hard disease to fight. And most people don't get the opportunity. A lot of people lose their voice or their life within a matter of, you know, weeks or months of being diagnosed. 
And so I was like, okay, there's a reason I still have my voice. There's a reason I've been a slower progressor. Um, and people don't like when I say that. I, I'm always like, I I do think I was meant to have this. Like I I have to believe that this is my purpose. And a lot of people are like, no one's meant to have a terminal disease. Like no one, and people get really angry. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I have to believe it. Like I don't, if, you know, a lot of people say like, if it were me, I'm like, you don't know what it would be like if it were you. Like you might be able to tackle this just as well as I have been. You don't know like how you're going to react to this type of surprise in your life. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think I was meant to be in this position and I'm trying to use my voice as best I can. Um, but there are good things that come with having a diagnosis. I mean, I have a lot more perspective in my life. Mm. Um, also, I feel like I'm like living my funeral every day and that people are always telling me what they love about me, which is great because <laughs> they're like, wow, like if, I swear I post a video of me doing like absolutely nothing on social media and people are like amazing. Like, I'm like, I was putting a shoe on, like it's not that exciting, but I think people just like learn to cherish the little things yeah. when, when yeah. you know, like there's an expiration date. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, again, I was watching this video where you talked about how you feel like you were meant to get it and you now are using it as an opportunity to like, I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of followers. You've been on the Today Show. Hey, you're on the Awesome Human Podcast. It's a big deal, you know? Um, But, and I was thinking about that because, and I love what you just said, like where people say, no, 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 no. Like if it was me, it'd be the end of my life. Yeah. I think one of the cool things that I, that you like re-inspired just watching your videos re-inspired me to think about is we, we don't know how we will react when something bad happens. We assume it's going to be the end, you know, and there's even some research and I'm a research geek that we overestimate how bad we will feel when bad things happen, like really bad things like losing a home or divorce or getting a terminal diagnosis. So to me, it's like, you're this like living and breathing articulation of like the strength of the human spirit. Like that's, Every time I watch your video, that's, that's what I think, pretty. including when you're putting on your makeup and I'm like, wait, yeah. hold on, what lipstick is she using? Can you please hold it up? I know, I know. I think people don't give themselves enough credit. Like any bad thing that's happened in your past, it feels like the worst thing at the time. Like even think about high school when like something bad would happen, you're like this, I will never recover from this. And then like a week later, you're okay. Obviously things change as you get older and the scale of the bad things can get bigger, but I don't think people give them, give themselves enough credit. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, can I ask about, cause you talked about how close your family is. I, yeah. my family is really close. And I have to tell you when I was watching you on stage the first time I was thinking about um, your parents and how, difficult this must be for them. Can you talk about how they have coped and are they as funny as you will know? Cause you're funnier. So it's funny because my dad is always in my videos. Like he has no qualms about being on camera. And so I don't think people even realize I have a mom. My mom is just super camera shy, but she's actually like probably the most clever of the whole family. Like maybe the funniest I might, I might give her that. Um, And so both of them are very much around, like they're in the other room right now. I'm staying with them for the week. Uh, But yeah, they, they probably have it 
the hardest is my mm-hmm. guess. Like when I first got diagnosed, I don't think, I don't, I don't really know how it must've felt because like I'm the youngest, I'm their baby. And I got something that se- seems so impossible for mm-hmm. a young person to get. Um, and so I, I think it was really hard on them. I think seeing the way I've approached it has helped. Um, I don't think my mom loves when I talk about like the whole like dying girl jokes that I make. She does not like that. Mm, Um, But she always says like, we're trying to follow your lead and, you know, approach it the same way. But I think it's a parent's nightmare. So I'm sure it keeps them up at night and they try to probably hide a lot of that from me. Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a mom and I can't imagine, but I think it's also, I often think about when a family is close and there's pain for someone, it's often, it's obviously hardest for them, but it's also really hard for people. I think it's harder for the people who love them. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I mean, I'm not in control, but I feel somewhat in control. Like I wake up and I'm like, I feel the same as I did yesterday. Great. But for them, like they're kind of just helpless on the sidelines watching something mm-hmm. that they can't stop. Um, like I think it would be harder for me if someone else had it close to me versus me handling it. It's just easier when it's you. I don't know. I don't no, know. that actually, that makes a ton of sense to me. And what you said about control, like you're making, you're kind of in it and you're choosing every day. They can't help you. Right. They're watching from the sidelines. I, I, I actually, I get that. Yeah. Wow. I interviewed my friend for, for my TikTok probably a week ago and she was cracking me up. She said like, she's like, I'm watching something that I can't stop. And she was like, and I see you doing so much. And so as a friend, like, I know I'm supposed to be there to just support you. Like, that's my job. But she was like, I feel like I need to be doing more. And so she started brainstorming ideas of like what more she could be doing. And they were cracking me up. She was like, what if I quit my job and went back to school for neurology? Something I'm not at all skilled in. But (laughs) what if I did that? Or she's like, or what if I pushed you in a marathon in your wheelchair. And right. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I would just be sitting there, but like, you're welcome to <laughs> go do for it. it. Like we were just, she was brainstorming ideas. They were killing me. No. And so speaking of friends, one of the other videos that you made that I really loved what you said is um, dating as an, you know, with ALS and like yeah. dating and thinking about being in a relationship, being in a relationship. Can you talk about that? Because to me, you know, and this, I've been married for 23 years. So like, forever. Um, but dating just in general, forget ALS. It's like, to me, it's, a um, like, it's very hopeful. It's very future oriented, you know, yeah. like to connect with this other person. I have two really good friends who got divorced recently and they're each dating. And to me, it's like always very, I love when they tell me they're like in it. Cause it's like very hopeful. Like, right. yeah, I'm going to be in a relationship. Can you talk about dating with ALS? Yeah. So I was single when I got diagnosed. Mm. Um, I'd been single for a couple years. I was 33. And honestly, like I kind of always saw myself as someone who would like settle down later in life and just I was having too much fun. Um, But once I got diagnosed, 
I basically just like ruled out dating. I'm like, well, that, you know, not going to be part of my life. And that's fine. Like my life is very full otherwise. Um, but I remember my friend's mom being like, you're dating time or like your, your life is not over. Like don't count anything out because like, just because you got diagnosed doesn't mean like your life freezes in that exact moment and everything stays the same. Um, and so I kind of took that and I was like, you know what, maybe she's right. Maybe I should try it. And just, you know, if nothing else, I'll get a great story out of it. (laughs) So I downloaded the dating apps and like, God, if someone could write like a how-to on that with any kind of weird diagnosis on a dating app, like they you can make more a project for you. I mean, I wasn't really successful on the apps, but I was like, first I would not write it on my profile. And then I would go on the dates and I'd be like limping. And they're like, what's happening? Did you hurt yourself? And I'm like, that's like a date four story. Like, let's, and it's like, how do you, how do you put right. that up? And so then I was like, you know what, maybe I should put it on my dating profile and let people like give them time to process it before actually meeting me and deciding yeah. like, is this something that they're willing to, you know, take on? Sounds bad. Like I'm a responsibility, but like, is it something they can handle? Right. Um, and so I started writing it on my profile and then from there, it mostly just turned into like a creative writing exercise where I would just write like funny jokes about what I was going through and seeing how they would respond and I got some really funny responses. Those were like some of my first spiral TikToks was, you know, people writing like, what's up, Abraham Limpin? Like just funny comments, nice. to like funny pickup lines. And it was really fun, but like I didn't really see it going anywhere. Um, I was more just having fun with it. And then from there, my brother-in-law's best friend, they've been trying to set us up for 15 since I was 20 years old. But we never lived in the same state, but I moved back to Maryland once I got diagnosed. Um, and so he reached out and we started hanging out and he already knew about my diagnosis because he's friends with my family. So right. I didn't have to go through any of that. But yeah, we've been dating for like a year and a half now. Um, and we have no idea what we're doing because it's like we're just kind of enjoying every day and not really like you said, it can be future oriented. We don't really do that. We're more just enjoying our day to day. And it's been fun. I think that's so awesome. I see him in some of your videos. You guys have such a great vibe. Like there's just a great, he's, he's like a little camera shy too, but he's getting, getting more. more. You've gotten him in there. I mean, you're you're sly. I'm like, all he wanted was like his quiet life. He's like an accountant. Like he just wanted to a quiet life. And now I'm like, can we, um, how do you feel about meeting Savannah Guthrie and going on the Today Show? He's like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> that's a quiet life. I love that. Yeah. You just said something um, that, you know, you're just enjoying every day. Do you find that you are cherishing simple things more? I mean, it's kind of a cliche question. Like, of course you are, but I just love to know, like, in what are some other ways in which like having this diagnosis has maybe changed your perspective? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably a bunch of different ways. I think my brain chemistry has changed entirely. Um, Things I was worried about before my diagnosis. There's some that I no longer worry about. I will say like, I am surprised that some things haven't changed. Like I thought before, I thought when I got diagnosed, I'd be like, 
let's no longer sweat the small stuff. Let's do that. Like I still sweat the small, like I'm still very much What are the small things you me. sweat? Like I still get nervous before I talk in front of a big group. Mm. Um, I still get stressed out at some work stuff and I'm like, why? Like it's, this is also like minute compared to what Yeah. I'm going through, but it's, I don't know. I, I think that's a way of like, a psychiatrist told me once, he's like, you're not letting the disease change you. Like, that's a Right. good thing. That's a normal So, human thing to get annoyed yeah, so at I with think, stuff. I think that helps, but there are things that I no longer worry about, like, like dieting. That's probably like the thing that comes to my mind first, because I first 29 years of life, like I was always trying to like diet and work out. And then you get this diagnosis and they want you to gain weight. And it's like, oh, I guess I can just shut that part of my brain off. And I didn't realize like, and I think this is probably for a lot of women, maybe men too, like how much space that can take up in your head. Thinking of like, was I good today? Was I bad today? Like, I'll be good tomorrow. It's like, it's exhausting. I don't think about any of that anymore. Um, that's Uh like -huh. kind I think of that's trivial, really, trivial example, but like, it's yeah. a good, No, uh, I, I love that microcosm. example. You know, I'm just listening to, um, you know, the Julia Dreyfus podcast. Um, I've never I listened. haven't li Okay. So I, this is like a weird thing to say for someone who hosts a podcast. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Um, I went through like burnout a bunch of years ago and I just like reduced that input. Like I couldn't, I don't know. There's like the podcast voice. I try not to do the podcast voice, everyone. But anyway, so I stopped listening to podcasts. I listened to books and a friend was like, listen, you've got to check out the Julia Louis-Dreyfus podcast. So I was like, you yeah, podcast. It's brilliant, Brooke. You got to listen to it. It's just, Okay. so she interviews older women. It's called Wiser Than Me. So she interviews like Isabella Allende and like Amy Tan and just like Jane Fonda. And she is hilarious, by the way. Yeah. Like, it's hard to compete with her. You could do it. But, but also just, it's very inspiring. Like really great conversation, like no cheese, just like really good stuff. And I forget who she was talking to. But she, they got into this conversation of as women, it is amazing how much energy we spend on how we look
textbook of ALS. And so a doctor, it doesn't take a doctor very long. They can run a few tests and be like, this is what we're thinking. Um, but for me, mine started in one limb in my left foot and it kind of remained there for four years. It it got worse over those four years, but it didn't go to any other limb. Right. You mentioned you were limping. Yeah. And, and that's not really typical because like I said, two to five year prognosis, like you'd think it would hit other parts of my body in those four years. Um, so as they were diagnosing me, one of the things they gave me was a genetic test. And this was two years into the four-year period. So they gave me this genetic test. And I, I don't know if they explained it to me or if, and I wasn't listening or they didn't. But after this test came back, first of all, it took a month for it to come back. So the, that month I was just sweating. And it came back and they were like, you don't have any of the genetic markers for ALS. And my family celebrated as if we were out of the woods because oh my God. we figured like, oh, great. Like, I do not have it. If that test came back, no. Uh, later to find out only 10% of cases are genetic. So 90% are what we consider sporadic. They happen out of the blue. Right. So really that genetic test only gave me like a 10% advantage. And I assumed it was like a 100% advantage. So that 10% number really surprised me. Wow. Um, also that there's no cure today. Like I think a lot of people think after the ice bucket challenge, we're in the clear and we're not close. There are medications that are expected to slow things down, but by a matter of months or a mm -hmm. percentage. Um, and so when you get diagnosed, they're like, you probably have two to five years, you'll go paralyzed well before that. And like, take this, it might slow you down. We're not sure. So I think everything about this disease has surprised me. Like it's not as rare as we think, uh, people just die really fast. So you don't know that many people living with it at one time. Um, I think they estimate like over a lifetime, assuming you live like 80 some years, it's like a one in 300 rate, which I would have expected like one in a billion. Yeah. That's what I would have um, said. Yeah. And I was 29 when it all started. So like, you just never know not to spook everyone who's watching this, but <laughs> no, but I everyone's now going to start like t checking that they're not limping, but I mean, no, but I think what you're saying is actually, obviously you're saying it from the lens of have, having ALS, but I think it's a, you know, I've been talking a lot about change and uncertainty and being in the goo and all that. Like, I think we think we have a lot more control than we do. Yeah. Um, and I'm someone, you know, I'm a doer. Like I've, you know, I came here as a refugee. I build a life, like all those things. And I, I just think we overestimate how much control we have, not just over a disease we can get, but just like how the world goes, how our life goes. So I think what you're saying, like, that's what it's making me think about. Yeah. I wonder if it's possible without a diagnosis to understand like how temporary this all is. Cause I never thought about it before I was diagnosed. Like I thought I was going to live forever. I, I was sure. like, I'll settle down later. Like that that's was, right. My, that's right. You know, like I just assumed I had time. Um, because most of the people in my life had that time. And so I don't think I really understood or processed like how temporary life mm -hmm. is and all of that until 
it was kind of like written to me as a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think, and that's why it's such a gift to like talk to you. And it's such a gift what you do and that you share this, not just here, but in your videos, because, you know, it's really like easy to forget. It's um, just easy to get into like the day-to-day -day and all the things. And we think it's forever. Yeah. So I, when I interviewed my friend for TikTok, I called it like conversations with a dying girl. And my mom didn't like that, but I told her, I'm like, I could be talking about either of us. You know that, right? Like, it, and, and also that's another thing people don't like is when someone comments, like we're all dying to my videos, people don't right. like that because they're like, you're not being faced with it the way like Brooke is. But I'm like, I don't mind it because I'm like, that is getting people thinking like, we are all in the same position. Like I could outlive some of the people commenting on these TikToks and we That's just right. don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like we're getting philosophical, but no, but I like, we can, I think it's really yeah, important. That's, that's kind of where, you know, that's just a crazy thing to me is like how little, how like, what's it called? Um, when you can't die in, in immortal, immortal, how immortal, like I assumed I was Yeah, especially in my twenties. Like I do videos about like five things that definitely did not give me ALS, but it's like things that probably did. And like those things, I'm like, I should have been dead. Like the way I lived in my twenties, I was, I was a wild girl. And so I talk about like drinking like four loco original recipe. I don't know if anyone in, even in the comments even knows what that is, but uh -uh. like, or drinking like fish bowls at like a dirty bar, like just all these things that, okay, someone, oh, someone does. Four Loco, thank God. Um, Local expert. Yeah. No, Four Loco is like, it was, it's pulled from shelves. So the original recipe was like alcohol in a can with like crazy amounts of caffeine and you would what? drink them and like your body would shake. Like it was not a, but we drink them in colleges if they were like vodka sodas. Um, wow. So, so yeah, those are the things where I'm like, how did I think I was so immortal when I was living that way? But it takes time. But I like think like to the, to the point of like, I love what you said, people say we all die and people don't like that, but it is true. And like, like you have a diagnosis that gives you a certain lifespan. If we don't have it, we just assume it goes on forever. Right. But we could get a diagnosis of something tomorrow or yeah. the world implodes or get hit by a car or whatever. And I think it's, you know, I always think about that. It's like, um, like when we came to the US, you know, it was crazy. Like we had nothing. We lived in the projects, like all this stuff. And it was so horrible that you think kind of like you said, like you think that would give me lifelong perspective to like never get annoyed by stuff. And it has given me giant perspective. But yeah, I also just like walk around like getting annoyed at small things thinking, well, I'll just like you know, tomorrow I'll have a better day. Tomorrow I'll be less annoyed. So I think it's that the hardest thing is to like be alive today. You know, I think, I think the denial and like the ignorance is honestly helpful. Like I'm still in denial. Like as much as I talk about dying tomorrow, like I still don't think I'm going to, but I think that's like the only way you can really power through. Otherwise, like I think it would get to a point of like, what's the point of any of this? Like you just get a case of the fits mm. and just like not live. So I think denial helps me a lot. I think it's, I think it's a powerful technique. Can you share, since you like direct questions, I learned this yeah. on Instagram. So can you share, so you, you 
your, like, what's your physical condition? Like, how has it progressed? Yeah, it's weird, right? Because, like, you can't really tell on camera. No. So because everything is kind of like stomach down for me. So I'm sitting in my wheelchair, as you can see. Um, So it started for me in my left, on my left side um, with my left foot. It kind of traveled up my left leg to the point that now like my left leg really doesn't do anything. Um, Then four years later, it started hitting my right foot. And now my right leg is super weak, too. So I can't walk anymore. I'm in a wheelchair all the time. Um, I can stand if I'm like perfectly positioned to stand where there's like some things to hold on to someone around to spot me. Like that's, that's kind of, um, the most I can do. So my legs, I consider pretty much useless at this point. And then my core is really weak too. So I'm always slouching. Um, I always have bad posture. And when your core goes, a lot of things connect to your core. So mm-hmm. like I'm always slouching. So like my posture is not good. My neck always kind of hurts, but also like your arms to do this requires a lot of core. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. So like I can do that one at a time, but to do both, I'm like, well, I have to bend forward and then I can do it entirely. Um, so it's interesting. It's like, and a- yet still you went on a business trip to New York city by yourself. I yeah. just have to tell you, okay, so I used to live in New York City and then I live <gasps> in Boston too. and I, you know, travel back and forth. And like to navigate the Acela and Penn Station as a person who can walk is hard. Like now apparently Penn Station is fancy. I haven't seen the new part, but it's still so it's a different. nightmare. The whole like train. The... So you went to New York City by yourself. Like I kept looking yeah. for, that's cool. Yeah, super cool. I mean, and then you got stuck between the beds in your hotel room real Um, fast. So Um, you still travel by yourself. I mean, that that's got to be just a lot, right? Just like physically to handle. I prefer someone coming with me mostly to take off like the mental stress of all of it of like, what if I need help? Like before that New York trip, I was pretty nervous, but it was such a last minute trip that I didn't prepare to have someone come with me. Um, so I just navigated it on my own and I decided to film the whole thing. Cause I'm like, I wish someone else had done this so I could just copy exactly what they did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm hesitant to give up opportunities like that. Um, I think the more I get out there, the more I can share my story and hopefully people will care more about ALS and donate and petition for more government funding. Like, I think there's benefits to, to me getting out there. Um, also personal benefits too. Like I get to, you know, not be homebound, but the independence thing is, is interesting. Like I've, I've realized over the last few months, like I'm really not that independent anymore. Mm. I kind of always need, unless I'm at home, I have my routine down at home where I know exactly what I need. Um, but like the second I fall, I need someone there or, you know, the second I'm in like a new space, I need yeah. help. So independence is a really weird component to ALS where you lose it so much faster than, mm. you know, you'd mentally be ready for. Yeah. Well, you talked about in like one of your latest videos, you talked about what you get angry now is like, the physical stuff like falling totally. yeah 
Oh, my dog didn't like that. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So if I like, I don't feel anger throughout the day the way I think I did at the beginning of my diagnosis, yeah. but like when I'm in bed to move, like to roll over in my bed, you use your legs. And so your I'm, core. I'm manually lifting my legs with my hands just to move positions in bed. And like, I'm not a stay in one position sleeper. So throughout the night, I'm like basically working out. Like I'm moving my legs back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, this is so annoying. It's it's frustration more than it yeah. is like full-fledged anger. Um, but yeah, those are the times where I just get like really annoyed. It's like all physical. Um, and if I fall, that'll ruin my day for like a couple of days. Like my last fall, when I got that big black eye, I was shook for a couple of days. I'm like, I can't, I'm not leaving my wheelchair. Like I don't want to do anything because I don't want that to happen again. You just feel so helpless. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's just like everything comes crashing down of what you're going through. Cause you're just help. Like I was helpless on the ground. I was naked when I fell, which made it even more entertaining. I didn't know that. Wow. And I had my watch. I was ready to call, like you can call emergency contacts, but my dog walker happened to walk in exactly when it happened. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. But oh God, she no. and a neighbor like helped me naked get back into my chair. I was like trying to cover myself in a towel. But after that, I was like, this has got to be like the lowest point ever. So are those your low points? Because I was going to ask, I mean, you, you know, you obviously have perspective beyond your being. And I think we're all, we're all in awe. I can feel just being like in awe of you and the best, like as a fellow human. Um, but you have low moments, right? Even with your perspective, are those the low moments when you. Those are the lowest. Yeah. yeah. And those, it kind of snowballs once that happens. Like once you have a fall, I think for me, I'll, I'll talk about my last fall. Yeah. Um, so when I fell naked, got a black eye, I, they picked me back up. I got in my chair but the next couple of days you start spiral. I started spiraling a little bit where I was like, what if this is moving faster than I thought it was moving? Um, what if I'm not able to like, see my nieces get older? Like you start, I keep saying you, I started having yeah. these crazy thoughts that aren't helpful. I think they're normal, but they're not helpful. Um, where I was like, just sort of, worst case scenarios were coming to me where I'm like, what's my family going to do? Like, this is going to break. This is going to like haunt my nieces. Like this is horrible. Yeah. Um, and so it's like the physical part can spark off like a mental spiral. Yeah. But for me, it doesn't last more than like a couple weeks. I think after that, I kind of just come back to my like default of denial and Zoloft and just go for it. <laughs> Default of denial and Zoloft. You know, like there's, it. It's and like there's only so long my brain wants to be in the like bad space where I'm like, okay, let's just like distract with something new. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like a mental obstacle course sometimes. Mm. Well, Brooke, I don't know. I, I think I feel like you know this, but you're amazing at navigating it. And I, I don't know. I just want to thank you for being like you have added 
something to my life. I didn't even know you. I'm so grateful you made the time. And I think everyone who has had the privilege, the gift of listening to you, not just on this podcast, but in all your videos, you're you're giving us all a giant gift. So I just want to say thank you. Like, thank you so uh, much. It, what a community uh, you have. Yeah. Yeah, we're very lucky to have awesome humans. Um, and there's thousands and thousands who are listening in the future who can't send you all the hearts. I just want everyone who is listening to know the screen is exploding with hearts. Literally. I think this is the most hearts I've ever seen oh my God. any guest. And I think I've had 50 or so. Some of them um, are little double hearts. Do you see I them? know. I don't know how to do that. I don't either. I've never seen that. This is amazing, actually. Like... Uh, this is like a parade of cards. I'm going to take a photo of my screen. Amazing. I'll have Thanks to ask everyone. my teenager. Wait, triple heart. How do we do that? I don't know. I feel like I thought maybe my eyes were just going. No, 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 no. This is fancy. We're going to have to dive in. Um, Triple click. Oh, triple oh click. okay. See, smart people. Um, Brooke, seriously, thank you for being like, oh you my are, gosh, thank you. You're, you're a gift. Um, Thank you for sharing your gift. Thank you for the courage that you have and just for the realness of it all. I don't know. I, I think you gave a lot of gifts today. You give them every day. Um, thank you for laying out the makeup in the story because yeah. for a while you weren't doing that. It was really annoying. Well, yeah. No, put on I, and you look so beautiful. And she, she does the videos as she puts the makeup on. And I'm like, hello, I can't see the brand. And then you started to lay them out. I was like, thank you. I know. I think like I have to be doing something while I talk because otherwise I'm like, I don't know, sometimes I just feel weird talking to a yeah. camera myself. So I just started putting on makeup and then, yeah, it opened up a can of worms. But these were like, I, I still have them in front of me. Like I just started stealing stuff from my mom because I'm visiting her. So I had to take the picture because I had no idea what any of them were. But it was fantastic for the rest of us watching because I was like, oh, thank God, screenshot. I was like, come yeah, on. This is all drugstore stuff. Um, but it's good stuff. You're really good at concealer. I just want to end on a really important note. You know, we, I feel like we've talked about not important things. So I feel like I want to end on a critical really note, like life important. Um, forget all the other things, Brooke. You're really good at concealer. Thank you. That's honestly an honor. I love it. No, no, seriously. I was like, oh, I see what she's doing there. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, thank um, you so much for allowing me to share and for giving me the stage too. I appreciate it. No, it's, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, thank you for being, that's all I can thank say. You. Thank you so much for being. And you know, now at least you've met in person or however in person, this is through the screen. One more person who like watches all your videos five times through at a minimum. Thank you so much. And it was so nice meeting everyone in the comments too. I love them all. I know. So much love flowing to you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you, Thank you for you. being. Thank you for being awesome Bye. humans. Bye. All right, awesome humans. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. And I would love to know what resonated. What questions do you have? What are you excited to practice? So send us an email to team at happier.com. And please rest assured, if you send an email that you'd love for me to read, I will always get it in my inbox. My team will send it to me. Let's stay in touch so you can keep practicing skills to help you struggle less and thrive more in work and life. The best way to do it is to go to happier.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I promise you, I would never send you spam. It's just more practices, skills, and stories to help you embrace your inner awesome human. I can't wait to see you next week.